Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and thanks for listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about with a particular focus on employment this week, but we'll also look at the strength of China's economic recovery, uh, maybe chat about commodity prices along the way, which are helping the outlook for Australia in these grim times. And we might look at the inflation picture as well. Uh, I'm Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group. And back with me this week in Sydney is James Whelan, uh, Macro Strategist and Investment Manager at VFS Group. How was your break, James? Oh, fantastic. It's good to be back here live from the studios of Darlinghurst. We are recording this episode on the 17th of July uh, 2020. Our guest this week is Director and Senior Economist at the formidable economics team at Westpac. It's Justin Smirk. Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, Paul. Uh, now, look, your labour market insights are always fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's where I'd like to start. Um, so since we started the show eight weeks ago, uh, now we've regularly talked about how there are limits to what we can deduce from the data mm-hmm. environment that we're currently in. Um, uh, unemployment in Australia this week, the headline figure, you know, ticked up um, to 7.4 point mm-hmm. from 7.1 the previous month. Um, but maybe you can take us through what's going on beneath all that. So th- th- there's a quite a strong dynamic happening underneath all that. Um, you, you, you talk, you hear the big stories about the strong um, job losses that have been going through and the big strong hours work that have been lost. We did see an improvement come through in June. So we've reversed about a quarter of our job losses. Um, and quite positive in that, that too. Um, a lot of the job gains that we've been seeing have been replacing the ones um, that were lost, so particularly part-time and FEMA. So the real, probably one thing that we should take away from the um, message that's coming out of this is the nature of this shock is so different to previous shocks that we've experienced. It's not a production shock. It's a services-based shock. It's hit the service industries the hardest, so hospitality, retail, tourism. And in that way, it's also hit female and part-time employment or casual employment the hardest as well. And that is also too where the recovery is coming through now. And that is part of the reason why you're not getting the full dynamic of a rising unemployment as you would normally expect. Yes, JobKeeper is having a big impact in terms of keeping people in work. But what's preventing the unemployment rate from being closer towards 11 is a lot of people who lost their jobs um, just left the labour force. And that's quite normal for part-time female employment. They sort of come in and out, depending on jobs. And of course, in June... Big recovery in jobs, over 200,000 jobs we saw go through. Most of them, a big share of them were female and part-time. Again, participation came soaring back and we actually now see unemployment rising as jobs recover. As a, as a result, yeah. Mm. Um, so I think one of the really interesting questions here now is, um, you know, how this looks going forward. Everybody, I suppose, understands that this is a deeply unusual, strange mm. time. Um uh, uh, very difficult time, obviously, as well for a lot of businesses and for a lot of people, and um, all those people who suddenly found themselves um, uh, without work. Um, uh, uh, but now, some you know, with the restrictions being eased, um, mm-hmm. some businesses are able to open, and there's a bit of demand comes back as well. Um, but looking forward, um, the, um, the the federal government's going to announce um, some more 
uh, measures to, uh, I suppose, take the baton mm -hmm. from JobKeeper, which was, you know, an emergency measure. Um, but there were other emergency measures as well, like um, on the banking side, the mortgage holidays, mm -hmm. um, back with government, the free childcare, uh, all of that freed up cash to support um, services sector in particular, I think, um, can go to small businesses, et cetera, keep them afloat. So now this is a very big question, so I'm sorry to do mm -hmm. it, but what do you think are the key policy challenges as we head towards this change now, um, in particular for supporting uh, jobs? So I think there's three particular challenges that um, are, are going to be facing. Um, you highlighted one of them, and that's the, the JobKeeper program itself. Um, I, I think we're all surprised by the speed and the focus of how it went out so quickly. Um, it's been very, very effective in terms of not just providing support for jobs, but also providing a direct cash injection into businesses. This is why it's a very interesting package. It provided direct support to employment, um, direct import to income supports to people remaining in jobs, and also to businesses as well. So part of this is going to be, as we roll out, is there's going to be sectors, and the government's already highlighted areas like uh, travel and airlines that are going to need particular support as um, these packages roll out. But more broadly, um, quite clearly, there's um, going to be sectors and industries that are under more stress. Now, one thing to remember is there were sectors and areas, you know, hospitality, retail, um, restaurants, talk to anyone in the restaurant industry and that pressures they were under before COVID came in. We have to accept that as the economy reopens, we are going through a slower level of activity than beforehand completely. So straight away, some of those firms which were struggling beforehand will go under. And in some ways, there's not a lot we can do about those. We have to allow that adjustment to happen. Um, it has to be orderly. Um, but there is going to be some pain coming through regardless because you've got a level shift. Mm. From a higher level of growth, lower level of growth, some firms just are not going to survive. Yeah, part. so like, you know, if you're growing at 1%, which it looked like we were doing mm -hmm. before um, the, this pandemic hit, something like 1%, one, 1.5% one maybe, um, but come back down to where we are, and even if we're growing at two, it's probably not going to um, look the same. It's not going to have the same level of demand, right? Probably the better way of thinking about it is if the Australian economy was a whatever size in billions of dollars that we were before the GFC, before the COVID hit, even though we may be growing at 2 or 3% out of it, the number of dollars being spent in the economy is less. Mm. And it's going to take some time to get back there. And so all the businesses that are out there before are now facing this reality of going to have a lower level of income coming through. What about price increase? Dumb question. Sorry, this might no. this might seem that sort of that sort of way. I have noticed. I have noticed that there's a price increase in places that I've gone to. Mm -hmm. How much can that? Uh, how much can that make up for any shortfall? I think you will be seeing some um, repricing happening. Um, I think that will be for the astute businesses that can manage it. Um, it will be a way that they can provide that extra cash flow. So, yes, I think those price repricing in certain industries, particularly around hospitality, is mm. coming and that's going to be part of the saviour packages. But then we're also talking about an industry where there's lots of people who are going to be struggling. And so there will be some businesses who will, whether it's rational or irrational, um, will focus on trying to get volume in to keep the businesses going and they'll discount. Yes. So this is where you're going to have this tension in the economy out there now. So. I would argue they're actually the, the, the businesses who are good at what they're doing and have a product and can differentiate themselves in any sort of these areas will be able to put some, put some prices through to try and help support themselves. And the ones, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you can only survive by basically um, just restaurants again, if you can only survive by the extra cash flow that Uber brings you, 
you're you're really price sensitive. Yeah, and you're going to struggle because yep. you don't have a differentiated product. And it's a it's a it's an even balance. Everyone can see immediate prices of exactly what the competition is going to be like. Exactly. I, I, keeping it's funny that you mentioned those two things because that's that's they're the anecdotals that I do, and I do a lot of stuff on the on the anecdotal way of going about things. I just picked up a new car, and I just did a week in Katoomba last week. Mm-hmm. The new car is the exact is the exact example of the discounting side of things. That that they had. Discounts and deals, and uh, we, you know, we're going to throw in two thousand dollars extra if you pick this sort of car, and 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 obviously money is free, mm-hmm. interest rates being nothing, even for a car salesman, uh, that, that they were nothing, and obviously peppered the guy for an anecdotal. Mm-hmm. What have you got? What have you got? He said, usually in a good month we do about two three hundred cars in June, and we've we're already through five hundred. Mm-hmm. They're like because they had the deals, they can't get rid of the deals. No one can go anywhere. Everyone's just gone and got a uh, got a new car, which is great. But then the Katoomba, there were some restaurants that I went into in Katoomba and I just went, that is not a $15 burger. You guys are having a laugh. <laughs> that is not a $15 burger. That's a $12 burger at best. I'm yep. from Sydney and I'm having, a, I'm having a look at this. So it's just that that I can see those things at the discounting side coming in through and also the price increase side on some sites too. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail right in the head. So there's going to be certain sectors and um, I've just come back from um, a week, week camping with the kids, uh, my kids up, up the coast. Um, in between Byron and Coffs. And you can see exactly that you're talking about. The, the sectors that where there's some ability to do price discriminate or you've got a differentiated product that people will want to pay, happy to pay a premium for, they can get away and do it. And up there in Katoomba, if there's a, a limited competition for your burgers, and you go out and you pay $15. Yeah, and there are. And, and we noticed a lot of restaurants didn't look like they were going to be reopening if there was going to be a reopening. The ones that were there were, were able to, to take what they could get and everything was full. And I think that's... Part of what we're going to see in this environment too, those that have managed to come, and this, this is always what happens with these. This is why I often argue that those people who can manage a shock like this really well set themselves up to do really well down the future. Because if you get through this situation in a position where you've preserved your cash and you've built it, you build a brand, and you come out of this with a solid brand, solid customer base, and obje- an idea of where you're going and a plan, you can really make great gains while everyone else is trying to catch up and just survive or close up shop that's that's the idea of that's the idea of the economy and the market that, that those survivors i've heard it um described once you know the businesses that, that do well in downturns um take on the the downturn uh, the way a racing car approaches a turn mm-hmm. so you break hard and early um but position yourself properly going into the turn so that you can really accelerate um as fast as possible at the other side uh which Amazingly enough, brings me to something I was going to ask about, um, which is this, you know, the skills training package that, mm-hmm. the, that the government announced this week, uh, $2 billion um, uh, from the federal government, uh, where they will um, subsidize apprentice training, uh, ensure that businesses um, previously it was smaller businesses, but now it's businesses up to 200 people um, can can get this um, access to this funding. Um, $2 billion bucks for skills training to sort of bring people up to speed. I think it's a fantastic initiative. Mm-hmm. In fact, my only quarrel with it would be, I think it could be five times bigger. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, with the idea being that we, you know, when demand does pick up that Australia becomes known for having a very highly skilled mm-hmm. modern fit for the 2021 uh, economy. Yeah. Um, where, where do you see there being strong levels of demand for labor? Like where are the jobs going to be basically? Um, we go back to our old sort of drivers. Um, part, part of what I've got to be, to be careful about this is um, what drives an economy coming out of these types of recessions is often things that you don't expect. Mm. Um, 
And, and, and I will give it an example I can give is a very real example of, of, of history of looking at an economy that's done really well with very little resources. And you can pick a country like Taiwan. Didn't have any natural resources, had a big enemy off its shore. It focused on improving its skill base of its, start, of its people, focused on allowing industries to expand and grow. Didn't really try too hard to pick winners and just allowed the economy to expand in different areas that it could. That is what I think we should be doing here in Australia. So we need to be upskilling our people. Yes, I think we've um, there is a natural shortage in this country of skilled labour, so we need that area. That area is very important around apprenticeships and such. That's a long-going structural issue that we need. Um, but we're also going to need skills in soft industries, um, hospitality, businesses, um, services, those kind of skill bases is still an area of strong growth. You can't just focus on building buildings and building machinery. They provide some jobs, but as an economy grows and expands, we don't consume more things, we consume more services. And that's where it is. That's where the servicing the future of Asia is going to be as well. Healthcare being a very good example. Healthcare, education, yes, all those types of issues. And so I like this um, job trainer or whatever they're calling it. They're giving it a catchy name. But the, for me, the idea of skill basing is more about how you prepare an economy for a long run. We should break it out into two. It's kind of been wrapped up in one now where they're using it to try and stimulate the economy. And I understand why they're doing that. But it should be part of a longer term strategy of how we get these jobs growth going. And, and I'm more one of trying to get create a skilled, dynamic labour force rather than trying to pick a certain industry that's where it's going to be the winner. Mm-hmm. I want people that can jump between certain sectors amongst the soft, amongst the skill sectors rather than just focusing on one area and going five years from now, oh, we've trained all these people to be computer programmers, but it's all been taken over by AI now. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like I think it's more about the, the techniques, what we, we teach our people rather than trying to teach them, especially in the services areas, like a fixed trade as such. Yeah, yeah, and um, because there's been so much talk for years in the education, on the ed- education policy side of things about, you know, uh, lifting STEM uh, capabilities or um, yes. STEAM as it's sometimes... Uh, STEM and STEAM. Yep. Yeah, STEM and STEAM as it's sometimes referred to, STEAM uh, including arts. Um, and, and being being a finance sector background, one of the things I think is actually going to be a good thing coming out of this is that the whole change in the finance sector. We've Particularly for STEM industries, we're no longer going to have those big salaries in financial markets dragging out all the all the um, physicists and mathematicians and engineers and having them working on financial market models to try and make money out of trading products. They're going to probably be going back more into STEM industries and actually providing more fundamental type analysis and research and growth, which will produce new industries that can actually provide for growth. Um, a lot of what we do in the financial markets, and this is one area where I think we've got to, where we're going to have a big shock, um, is we're moving towards more AI cost-cutting, which means getting rid of people and improving efficiencies. And through this shock we're experiencing now, over the next year, we're going to be seeing a lack of jobs growth in normal drivers of our economy. Um, That's sort of talking about legal, accountancy, business services, those areas where we're actually going to be seeing quite possibly job shedding between Mm. now and Christmas as, Mm. as firms readjust to this new lower norm we're talking about and plus taking on new technologies that will improve their efficiencies and working from home and all those things. Well, I'm legally obliged to ask the question then in that case, what shape is the recovery? And I hate the, sh- I hate the shape conversation, but like I said, I'm legally obliged to say what Pick a, le- pick a letter. Pick, pick a, a letter. letter. Yeah. I, pick I, a letter. I, my letter is Z because it puts me to sleep, but uh, look, uh, pick a letter. Uh, um, 
Z, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's going to be a sleep. Um, if I was going to pick a letter, it'd probably be, probably be S for snooze. <laughs> it's going to be a long sort of drawn out recovery. Um, I like I that. Get, Postponing it with the snooze button. Oh, that's yeah, good. I like it's that. Be, it's gonna, it's gonna, it, actually, that's probably a better way of thinking about it. It's going to be steps and starts. You know, things will start to recover and improve. Things will get better, but then we're going to see these readjustments of firms um, adjusting to the new norm. And, and lowering. So it's going to be start and stopping. Um, and there's going to be little shocks along the way too. Um, we're going to see another COVID outbreaks as we're seeing in America. We're going to see um, possibly another outbreaks in Asia, outbreaks here in Australia. And so it's going to be very stop starty. And each time we get one of these shocks, it's going to take incomes, productions, however you want to think it down to another level. But when it comes back, it's not coming back to the previous level because firms at each point in time will make an adjustment and learn how to do more with less. It's interesting uh, when I think about uh, opening and then restrictions coming back on. I mean, if you look at a company like Qantas, which obviously, you know, uh, employs, you know, tens of thousands of people, it's just shared a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but around Qantas, there's this vast network of suppliers yep. and small businesses um, for, you know, um, the catering, but also the you know looking after the passengers when they travel, and mm-hmm. even um, the taxis, the, the, even the, the taxis. taxis and the computer the, and the guys that run the cloud for the computer and the connection yep. and, the, yeah, and yeah. all of the data and supply all the, the fuel planes, the sucker fish on the shark, yeah, airport retail, uh, all all of that, yeah. all of that stuff. So, I mean, it's you know when we talk about Qantas um, going through shutting down, it's it's not really just about the airline. There's it's an enormous sort of ecosystem around it that that um, that counts on it. But when you think about um, risk lockdowns or, or or no lockdowns, if if some of its international markets, for example, mm-hmm. start opening up, um, but then they have outbreaks, and you know, so you, they spool up their whole. Uh, operation to serve a particular route uh, and then uh, and, and this is obviously a very good easy to understand example but I think that's kind of what you're driving out there is a, you know the stop start nature of the and and because they will be trying to be risk averse as they spooling up again they'll try and do it as as effectively and efficiently as they can and which was with the stuff they already have rather than putting on more stuff and as they get through doing that they'll learn new ways to do things to be more efficient so that's why these shocks sort of keep on happening. So you talk about all the sucker fishes around the edges. Um, yes, we still need a driver for a, for an Uber um, so or a taxi, so you can't reduce those numbers. But how you provide the fuel and the fuel and the food, like the, all of a sudden the catering people start going, oh, well, we don't need 20. We can get away with 10 people making meals because we've got this new machine that helps us along the way. Mm. Or we've got a new technique that we can do. We can improve efficiencies. Um, Do you think, okay, so the stops and starts, and this is leading me to the next part of, of which I've heard and seen a lot of anecdotes, so, so stick with me for a sec. So that the stops and starts of, okay, we're, that, that's bad, we're going to cut five. That's bad, we're going to cut five. Okay, we're good again, put two on, cut five, and then, and then stop, start it. Do you think that it's been so long since we've had a recession that we don't exactly know what to do in a really bad scenario? And this this goes to the consumer as well. That that that, that the consumer seems to be fairly confident. Taking ten grand out of the uh, out of the super fund and and gambling was the highest thing that it was spent on, as opposed to as opposed to this. Mm-hmm. It's hit the fan. You've got a serious situation here. You need to act like you're in a recession. But no one knows what a recession feels like. That's a good question, um, and I think you're hitting on the anecdotes that suggest we are not familiar with a recession. Um, 
you can also see it in terms of two of how we went into the recession with some industries being such narrow margins. Mm. It's also where the shock um, has been the most apparent is because the industries that were hit in this recession, um, in this downturn, unlike previous ones, um, have been around the small business sectors, hospitality, and the ones with the thinnest margins and the thinnest reserves and little capital back. So it's providing a constraint on where we can go forward. So I think you're right. I think there's something we're not we didn't go into this um, lockdown prepared for a recession. Um, people are not responding as though it's a recession and all hoping that it just comes to an end. The thing that I'm most worried about is exactly what you're talking about because we sit here and talk about, oh, we can see this is going to be a slow recovery. But you talk to anyone in the street and they're all like, oh, we'll be back to normal. Yeah, it'll be fine, no worries. It'll be fine, yeah, no worries. The pandemic, the pandemic will be gone in a couple of months, everything's going to be okay and then yeah. we'll just switch it all back on. It's like, what? It, it, doesn't really work that way like i know that it won't work that way because we all know we're hearing what's happening with the big corporations and how they've stopped bonuses or t- taken forced their staff to have 20 percent pay cuts or those kind of things they're real and i hate to say it because i'm on the receiving end of this too but i can't see that changing mm. in 12 months time anyone who's had a 20 percent pay cut or lost their bonus this year we have to think that's probably the new norm yeah and if we get an upside to that that's a bonus that's a real bonus. Um, so with um, uh, with the unemployment figures, I think one of the interesting things is we, just from a, a conversation we had uh, earlier in the week, Justin was talking about how there's um, the number, there's the headline number, mm-hmm. but then there's actually what's going on underneath it. Underneath and, it yeah. and I was thinking about it afterwards, and it's a bit like the property market. You know, people talk about... Um, well, a parallel is the property market, right? So you, people talk about, you know, house prices are rising, but um, there are markets within markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, within markets there it comes down to kind of street level and yep. um, all of that kind of thing. Um, and it's quite similar uh, with employment market, right? And with, with the labour market, you uh, have, you know, 7.4% unemployment, and mm-hmm. that tends to be the number that everybody talks about it, but it doesn't really give you, particularly at a time like this, it doesn't really give you a picture of what's actually happening no. apart from more people are out of work. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, and, and another way of sort of thinking about it too is the, um, the employment to population ratio, which I often look at as well too, which gives you an idea of how much earning potential is out there compared to how much earning is out there compared to potential, population potential, um, earning, uh, level of employment's earnings. We're back to employment to population ratios we haven't seen in over 15 years. We've gone backwards because of this, this downturn. So unemployment rate is lifted up, but the more important one is we've lost a lot of income, um, even though those people aren't showing up as unemployed. Yeah, so the, the number of people as a proportion of all of the people in the country, um, the number Correct. of people working. So, yeah. yeah, so I've got Alex, Alex Joyner. Am I allowed to quote Alex Joyner? Of course, Joyner? Of course you are. I, so, I like Alex. Yeah, I... It, I I'm only just really becoming familiar with him, actually. I, I see right, that, that superb yeah, economist, yeah. That, um, so he's, I'll just go straight off his tweets from yesterday. So adding – g'day, Alex, too, if you're listening. Adding those that are working zero hours for economic reasons to the headline unemployment rate sees labour market dislocation to 8.8%. Adding those that have fallen out of the labour market gets to 11.7%. Yep. So 8, 8.8 was the ABS calculation, mm-hmm. and Alex has gone to 117 Yep which is his, his addition to the people that have just fallen out of the market. That's right. And so the, the, the one that's really different this time is those working zero hours. That's the job keeper. So all of a sudden you had people who... Mm. That could be me too. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so job keeper's got people on zero. Yep. You have to stay home, watch well, Netflix. 
Uh, because to get the JobKeeper payment, the employer has to keep you employed. Yeah. So if they've got nothing to do for you, but they get – and this is where it actually was an interesting thing that it worked because in certain industries we actually saw – the classic one was arts and recreation. There was a, 30, there was a 34% fall in the number of, pay, in the number of people on payrolls in, um, during that period of time on arts and recreation, yet the value of those payrolls rose 15%. What? Because of JobKeeper, they all – because people who – you have to pay the full – if you're on JobKeeper, you have to get the full $17,000 a fortnight. Seventeen $1,700. $1,700. $1,700 a fortnight. And if you're working, regardless of how many hours you're working beforehand. Mm. So for the part-timers and casuals in those industries, that was a huge income kick. Yeah. But they could also be working zero hours. Yeah. And that was the, that was the liquidity benefit. And that's why you got these sort of big distortions coming out. We're now seeing it creep back. Hours of work are coming up. Jobs are sort of lifting again. The number of working zero hours is shrinking back down to still bigger than what you expect. And so Alex's point was really right, that we've got this level of unemployment of people who are underemployed and unemployed, which is more around 11%, which is probably the, the real figure of the loss of income out there. And recessions do tend to hit young people uh, extremely hard, particularly those coming out of university, et cetera, you know, those people who need to get a start in their careers mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, this, uh, this is the unfortunate thing. You look at any research over the histories, people who leave high school or graduate and go into work or graduate and looking for work during a recession have a low level of income for the rest of their life compared to people who didn't. Wow, that's big. On average. You know, so, of course, there's people who are not, but on average, yep, if you, if you, if you unfortunately go into work, during a period of time when there's a recession, because that that becomes your norm. Whereas I and and having having taken over some operations departments, I know that I know that there are some people, and you look back through their employment history, we're just like this person's being paid a lot, and we're going through payrolls and things like that. This person's being paid a lot, and then you look back over the the twenty years that they've been with a place, and go, oh, they because they joined at the boomiest of boom markets, mm-hmm. and so they, 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 and that's always been where they are at the, yep. at the at the top, and then the guys that are at the bottom. Oh, so. So what, what you're saying is that a young person is better off just not looking for work until everything comes back together. I'm kidding. No, because it isn't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, but on but, the on, on the advice. Sorry, go on, go on, go. On. I was just going to say, well, but that's that's why it's so important, and that's why I have to applaud the government for what they did of trying to hold unemployment down. Mm. Now, what's so if you're allowed to, Mr. Frydenberg gives you a call. What's your advice? Um. I would actually sort of continue what they're doing but focus on how you continue to, to support those industries that have potential to grow. Um, we still need sort of the levels of income support that we've got right now to keep both um, unemployment and employment going. I'd even – I'm going to be saying something a little bit controversial but mm-hmm. I uh, personally don't think um, we have an issue with wages in this country. Um, in fact, I would argue if we had higher wages, we'd have higher productivity. We've become lazy and looked at, and, and we've become lazy in a way that it's like we can get cheaper workers. So worry, worry about productivity or product or differentiation. I would actually argue the issue between job seeker and the minimum wage is not the fact that the job seeker is too high, but the minimum wage is too low. And lifting the minimum wage, yes, it's going to cause some issues, short run issues around inflation, but inflation is a non-issue in this country. Um, it's going to cause some businesses to have to reassess how they do things with their margins. Um, yes, in some hospitality areas, there's going to be some squeeze on that. They're going to have to look at ways of lifting prices. But this is all ways of getting things moving again and getting businesses to think about how they can lift performances 
rather than just focusing on how can we get people into jobs as cheaply as possible. Yeah, so keep doing what we're currently doing, just get the labour cheaper yeah, that's uh, what and that'll help our margins. Yeah. And that's not to me that's not, not a long-run strategy. Yeah. How do you get more growth? How do you get more productivity? How do you get more people doing skilled jobs is what we should be looking at. And so that for me, if we think about growth targets rather than disinflationary targets, you know, how do we get cheap labour, just rather focus, but then focusing on how we get people into jobs and well-paid jobs. That should be what we do. But we already had, the, the, I think it still is, the, the, the world's highest uh, minimum wage, and that should be an incentive for people to seek work. Mm-hmm. Um, but unemployment topped out at something like 4.5% and started rising then. From the low point, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, from the low, bottomed at 4, 4.5% and then started creeping up a little bit um, as some of that weakness sort of creeped in, crept in last year. How do you think about that? So one of the most interesting things was is even with that tight level of labour market with such low unemployment, we never actually got any wage inflation at all, really. It's hardly moved. Um, so while we may people argue about the level of minimum wage, like you, can, you can debate whether it's too high if you, if you put this together the structure that you just did. But it has no, had no effect in terms of trying to lift overall wage inflation. There's, there's a whole gamut of basically where... Um, focus has always been on how we keep wages down overall and that's led to low levels of income and we're now in that sort of consumption trap now where there's everyone is arguing we need higher rates of income growth to get higher levels of consumption but we don't want to pay higher wages so we can't get higher income so we can't mm. get higher consumption mm-hmm. um well the impact is, impact on profitability though um firms see that they feel that they're going to be squeezed like and the, both the government and the reserve bank have mm-hmm. been hoping that the private sector will do more investment more risk taking yep. um uh, for um is uh, pretty much as long as I can remember now. I feel like I'm kind of talking about the same thing, uh, covering economics for the last uh, five years. So one of the the things that we sort of, I'm I'm trying to emphasise here is that we've got a, our policies are disinflationary or deflationary. Um, A lot of big services are now our primary sort of source of employment. Um, Services tend to be non-traded. So you talk about, oh, we, you know, Australian wages are too high compared to offshore. Okay, if you're an export market, yes, that's true. But if you're a non if you're a non traded sector, it's what's happening domestically. So if there was an overall wages lift, yes, there'd be people to keep the same margins would have to lift prices. They haven't been doing that. They've basically been saying we've got a price level like this. We've got to compete on those prices. How do we get our costs down? Now we don't have an inflationary problem. This so from a policy point of view that is the whole disinflationary thing that we've had in our economy that's continuing to drive. Mm. How do we keep inflation down because firms are competing on a price rather than thinking about how do we got this level of inputs, what sort of price matches that and how do we keep our margins and how do we differentiate our product to get people to buy those products. So that's the real things of what I'm, I'm talking, talking about. And you can talk about think about restaurants. So restaurants, I would argue um, I enjoy going out and eating. Um, it's a wonderful experience. But our restaurants are cheap. Yes, they they're are. very cheap. Yeah. And have you, have you been to Katoomba lately? <laughs> see, I would home with a fifteen dollar burger. See, I would applaud the fifteen dollar burgers. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're out there. Yeah, you're, you're shelling out. You're shelling out for the fifteen dollar burgers, which is good. What up? And you lost your burger. You lost your bonus, and you're paying for the big fifteen dollar burger. I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that I probably <laughs> go out a lot less often, but I still have a fifteen dollar burger. It's a different. It's a different market. It's talking about how we can get 
um, better margins, but probably around lower volumes. Yeah. Whereas, okay. whereas at the moment we're focusing on getting lots of volumes out at the lowest margin. Now I can I can see if we stick with that metaphor of the restaurant of the restaurant side of things. I mean, mm-hmm. ordering online on Amazon and stuff like that is that that's a different thing because that's price. What is it? Price fluidity or price fluidity? Yeah, and, yeah. and also you're dealing with a lot of traded products too. So you're competing mm-hmm. on the global market. And yeah. we saw what happened when Australians um, got access to the internet and could see what people were paying offshore for books. Yeah, and was it? And then it, it, it it evened up fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, the restaurant thing works very well as a metaphor for that. That's a service. It's 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 you're getting a good and a service mm-hmm. sort of at the same at the same spot. Prices could be higher. Interesting. Yeah. So that's pitch that, pitch that to the Australian people. See how and, you and, get. Yeah. And well, that's a, that's a thing. So we've become so used to cheaper prices. You can't put prices up for things though. It becomes difficult, but it, it becomes difficult if no one is doing. If everyone's, if everyone's doing the same thing, you can. So if, let's say, for example, and if wages are rising, and if well, if wages are rising, you'd have to. That's yeah, true. Okay. Yeah. 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 You'd be forced to do it. You'd be forced yeah. to do it. And everyone would be forced to do it because it'd be universal rather than unless your competitor is, has, works out a way to be more efficient. But if a rising, a rising minimum wage, isn't the, isn't the old theory that a rising minimum wage knocks people who need that out of the workforce and brings people who, who don't necessarily need that minimum wage into the workforce to take that? They're basically, they're taking someone else's job is the theory. One of the things that is true, and it becomes this is where there is there is an issue, and we have to think about the social issues of how we deal with these kind of things. Is as we lift wages, as we lift productivity, now with all the now with the advent of AI type programs and increasing efficiencies, we're losing a lot of the bottom lower skilled jobs. So yes, I, I am not ignorant of the fact that by lifting minimum wages, we're probably going to be pushing certain people off the bottom end of the scale who no longer actually have viable jobs because those have all been automated. Mm. Checkouts, working in the checkouts, they get automated. Shelf stocking, all those kind of things will, will change. Warehousing. Uh, Warehousing. Uh, yep. I would actually argue that's happening anyway. Very good point. Very good point. It's all happening anyway. It's going to happen anyway. And those are social issues we have to address. It's kind of a different issue around how do we lift um, prices, productivity, economic growth it's more a question about this is going to happen anyway. We're probably going to speed it up by doing that kind of policy, but we have a social issue here where we're leaving a group of people behind with low skills, low abilities. How do we bring them along for the journey? Which, which under the, 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 the safety net that Australia pro- provides um, will be taken care of in some ways, but they, they may not have a job. So there will be the, you know, the burden on the welfare mm-hmm. system, um, maybe the health system because people being out of work for a long time, and uh, the, and all the all the research tells you too that um, people use um, work as part of their community. So if people aren't engaged in work, they often don't have a very strong community around them either. So there are social, there are massive health social issues. You weren't so. I, I'm I'm not saying that we should just we should just dump them either. It's actually a very big issue that we we need to think about how we bring those people into this new world where they have low skills, how do we find them meaningful employment and meaningful engagement in this world that is quite changing quite rapidly? Certainly. And, there's a, you know, there's a lot of conversation around this in that uh, building a better society with those jobs with um, by creating jobs in areas where they're needed. So, like, a really good example there is um, is aged care. This isn't mm-hmm. my idea. Um, this was I, I interviewed the chief economist at PwC a couple of years ago um, about this, and he was talking about specifically this in China if they were going to automate a whole bunch of their industry. And he talked about uh, how um, 
they, they, you know, some things like for their aging population, they could start to develop these new jobs uh, in the air. Now, it's easier to do in China just because of the way the state works and mm-hmm. um, it can start up new businesses and enterprises, you know, whereas um, we would do that through a mixture of government policy and private investment. Um, uh, but it is an interesting idea, right, so that you, you, the jobs that you create are the ones that are aiming uh, to produce the kind of um, society that you want people to live in, mm-hmm. that you aspire to, to create, so through aged care. But are there other uh, areas that might um, so fit the bill there? Education, um, certain areas, of, but that's, again, that's a bit more of a high-skilled level. Um, healthcare, you can develop some, because healthcare, when you think about sort of aged care, you've, you wrap up... Um, yeah, there's, there's health comes into that as well. Um, you'll also have you need cleaning, just walking. The whole the whole caring of a person is is actually more than just like one job. So you're creating a whole sort of ramit of sort of of industries. Some of them are quite high skilled. Some of them are quite low skilled. Um, education does similar sorts of things as well. Um, while teachers are very very highly skilled, there's lots of different levels of support that actually is actually needed for it. Um, we're becoming more um, service-based around our own housing and what we're doing. Um, you're trying to lift incomes and then people sort of demand extra services around their own houses. People do less at home and spend more time working. One of the great theories always you heard about the futurists always saying was in the future we'd have much more leisure time. Well, it seems it's the opposite. We have less. We spend more time working and so we actually need people to do some of the stuff we used to do in our homes. Yeah. Um, as... Both partners are working. I certainly do. You should see my house at the moment. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and and with both both people working at home, males and females. Um, Atlas yes. shrugged. Atlas shrugged is baloney. Sometimes you look at it and you, you you look at the messages that 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 she wrote in there that that with technology and with advances in productivity, I'll have more time to do other free stuff. It's don't. I'm locked on my phone twenty four seven now. We're all remember when BlackBerry hit. Yep. And it was supposed to free us up. It didn't. Just made an expectation that we're going to be able to work twenty four hours a day. And, and on weekends. And we do it to ourselves and how we set ourselves up to expectations. I can't not do it though. I feel the same. There you go. I feel the same. Let me talk quickly about inflation. So part, mm-hmm. part of what we were talking about um, there, obviously, which was a fascinating conversation. Let me just jump into um, the global inflation and Australian domestic inflation picture uh, generally. It's one of our favourite topics mm-hmm. uh, here on the show because there isn't any inflation, right? But the, nope. the whole thing about just talking about it. Why? It's actually going to be deflation next, next, next month, but anyway. Yes. Uh, so mm-hmm. we are going to get the official data um, – uh, for the second quarter, mm-hmm. quarter um, yeah. at the end of this month, is that right? Yes, two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then bearing in mind that that was the super weird quarter where, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, everybody was baking bread and stuff. Um, so w- what can we expect to see? Um, well, the, there's a couple of things that are really driving it hard and um, that is going to be the free childcare. So there's going to be things in the, the – the number's going to be printed like a, a minus 2.2, I think we've got it on our forecast at the moment. Whoa. In the quarter, sorry. That's the headline a, figure. That's the headline figure, yeah. Um, trim mean, we think, so one of the core measures is probably going to be the first negative it's ever printed for the quarter. Just just a good negative, minus 0.1, but that's still a negative. Um, and a big part of that is um, – which really doesn't come in the trim means. That captures a more soft story, but the – You've got you had falling petrol prices, which we all saw and people people reacted to. Things that people probably don't really appreciate is the fact that um, childcare in the series will fall to almost zero, and that takes off a big chunk of it because it's been it's moved to being free. 
So the ABS measures it. One minute it's got a price up here, next minute it's free. Of course, you get a big bounce back again when it comes back again. So that's not really um, deflationary per se, and people in their minds probably don't think about it. Um, You've also got um, some subsidies that came in around um, housing, so rental subsidies, um, rental supports, discounts on rents. Um, If if your landlord happened to give you, say, uh, a week's free rent, the ABS in their surveys, if they pick that up, will actually take that as a discount that month. So because of the discount on what you're paying. Mm. So those things are all coming through and giving us a softer number. Um, we did see some price movements around where we saw some price increases for some household components that became a little bit scarce. Um, monitors. Monitors. Um, bread makers. Bread makers, toilet yeah. paper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that, that way I forgot toilet about the toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper, oh, yeah, yeah. Goodness. Wasn't a um, great time to be alive. So yeah. that, there were so those weird things. Um, but overall... Even though we said all that, um, clothing footwear. Mm. You know, people weren't going out and buying lots of clothing and stops of clothes and they, what they, when they were open, they were trying to get volume out. So. And gas was really cheap, petrol. Petrol was cheap. Yeah, because yeah, oil, oil theoretically oil went negative. So, yeah, speaking of negative, negative numbers. Uh, any person who actually tried to get negative oil on that day would have been struggling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I, was, to, to take I was siphoning fuel back into a tank. That's <laughs> as my joke goes about yeah. negative. The, the only way you could actually get negative oil prices that day was actually if you went to Cushing and you bought oil at Cushing but had nowhere to put it. Yeah. That's why it was negative. Yeah, we'll pay you. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, we'll pay you to take it because you're going to have to dump it on the ground. It's a beautiful story. Beautiful yeah. story in itself. But okay, so, yeah. so, so all of those things, so those are, things are, all, are all reversing, yeah. right? Okay. They're, they're all reversing later on. But still, there's this overall because of the shock we've had um, and the movement around. So, what's really critical for the inflation in Australia is really housing and um, some of the key health goods and such. So, health, health costs, the government's been doing a lot of work over recent years to bring the costs down, and they've been doing quite well. And now we're seeing house prices falling, which will flow through to dwelling costs, and they will be soft, if not negative, and rents are coming off. Two big things. And utility prices have been put on hold. Another big one, um, healthcare. Health funds did not put up their um, uh, uh, fees this year. Really? They were fixed. Yep. I did not know that. Yeah, so they, they normally go up in June. And I got a letter yesterday saying that my gas price had been dropped for some reason. Um, because of this. Because of this, yes. Well, they say because of this, but it could have been some other reason. They're uh, saying well, because of this to make them look good. It's globally, gas prices are down. So, there it is. So th- in, theory, <laughs> in theory, if our gas prices were reflective of the global markets, which they're not because of the nature of how our gas has all been wrapped up for exports, our gas prices should be coming down because yep. global gas prices are off a lot. Um, and so, that, That's just a demand picture, is it? Uh, demand and supply. And supply, okay. Yeah, so a lot of new projects came online over the last 12 months and there's some water coming online. Um, and the demand picture globally has, um, has softened quite significantly. And they wrote the letter saying it was to, to try and help our burden through these difficult times. And I thought, oh, I could see, I could smell BS when yeah, I, I know, from the envelope. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it's good, it's it's good, good that it happens. But, it but okay, so that is coming off. Yes, it's coming off. So, okay. so, so overall, the inflationary pressures in, in this economy will be softer than what we expected. And given the fact that you've seen the smaller rise in usual minimum wage, seeing we've seen all those wa- – um, we've noted those wage cuts, we've talked about them, particularly around bonuses, but overall there has been wage pressures. I actually wouldn't be surprised if this year we print an, um, at least one quarter of negative on the wage price index. Oh. Because we've the only thing that's been lifting wages over the last two years is the minimum wage. That's what you can actually see, track it. And that, yeah. now that it's going to be less, that picks it down. You've got these – negativities out there in terms of the service sectors where they're cutting wages, cutting, and that's cutting the hourly wage rate, 
I wouldn't be surprised here. It's not in our forecast and it's probably, I'm not convinced yet it will happen yet, but it's more of a risk than I've ever seen. It happened in WA post the um, mining boom. Yes. Wages went backwards there. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And, and the, 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 I'm just I'm going, I'm going through my head all the trickle downs and things that, that go off the back of that. But stick, stick with the inflation side. So if we get yep. negative, negative, negative inflation. Yep, for this quarter. What um, happens? What happens then? So then you get a big bounce back in the September quarter as childcare comes back online again. Um, uh, but you don't get the big bounce back in rents and you don't get the big bounce back in dwelling approvals and dwelling costs. Uh, you don't get the big bounce back in the gas prices either because energy prices, while they've recovered, are still relatively low. They'll find a way. Um, I, would, I would argue those kinds of price pressures, um, most businesses will be in this near term during this period of time and you've been seeing it with the banks, how they're putting off their mortgage. Yep. And they're, they're pushing, keeping pushing out. That's going to be the disinflationary pulse probably through to the end of the year. It's next year when you get some stability coming through that I'd see that you get the prices, so dwelling prices start to move a bit, rents start to move a bit, um, prices around the, around the economy through clothing, footwear, um, food just start to be pressure. The bills return, bills. firms have to, Restaurants. Yeah, hey, look, we, we need to cover ourselves now. Talking about the optics of it as burger, well. Burger goes up to $17. If, yeah. Can you imagine Matt Common on the front page of the, of the Telegraph in the Christmas quarter saying, we're now we're now forcing people back onto their mortgage. That's that's the image. That's what I would put mm. on there and just go. You can't you can't put bills up. You can't get people to go back onto their mortgages. You can't do that. Not in that quarter. No. Not with Christmas. Not right. I'm not after it started with bushfires. It went into floods and now it's pandemic. You can't you can't go and check so this. Right. And, so, and okay. that's all around the housing bills. And so that so the big so the big weighty chunky bits. The one that could catch us out is food. I mean that's much more market driven. So if there's issues around supply or things like that. Um, Food is food is more expensive and is getting weather more incidents. Weather incidents. Yeah. I'm convinced by that. That's my thesis for this year. That food is food is going up. Flash is too billig to uh, quote I would, the German. By the end of the year, I would argue yes. Uh, and one of the ones that we should see because part of what's happened in the short run is um, with restaurants closing, the ABS moved the pricing because a lot of restaurants went to takeout, and the prices actually matched takeout. So actually, theoretically, there should be quite a soft restaurant number this quarter. Then, as they move back to being more driven in the um, in their um, in the actual restaurants themselves, and as we're working around lower volumes, I would actually argue good businesses, if they're opening in the restaurant and they've got they can fill as much as they possibly can within the restrictions they have, mm. that's where we're going to see some price increases. Mm-hmm. The restaurants will be just if if they can because they can yes if they can yeah. and if they can they should I would actually argue they should be out there. Um, while it's going to hurt me because I like going out to restaurants, I think this is the time when they should be nudging on the prices and I would expect to see that amongst astute businesses. Yeah, we'll call that the Katoomba effect. The Katoomba I effect. Think. So I think we're going to see that. The, that, that. the Katoomba effect will come in and until eventually, look, there's, there's that piss-taking sort of thing that, that happens where it's just like you're having a laugh with this burger, you're having a laugh with that. The people are okay shelling out a bit more because yeah. we actually get to eat out, we actually get to do this. I'm going to have three scoops of ice cream and we're going to, you know, it's that. And, it's and we're that. not going out as much as we did in the past. Yep. Yeah. So that's the other thing that's changed. So we're not going as much in the past, so we're prepared to spend a little bit more. Yep. Yeah. But you're right. Um, but also what's going to happen, the market will work as it normally does. If people are taking the piss take, as you said, and charging demand too much for a burger, mm. either demand will fall off or someone down the road will say, It's 14. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's that's the beautiful free market the when, reverse it, when it works. Consumer. It's just wonderful. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Lura comes in with a uh, Lura down the road comes in with a fourteen. And so that that dynamic hasn't changed. So that's why I'm I, I'm not I don't see an inflation outbreak coming. I see certain movements in prices over the next two years. 
And I can see some areas that we talked about where prices will move higher. But in terms of an inflation breakout, no, because no. there'd be too many businesses looking for opportunities to try. Brilliant. So where does this leave the RBA then? This famous uh, mm-hmm. phrase, looking through the data. Uh, looking through the data. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about those guys for a second. Yeah, yeah probably you'll we'll be forgetting about them again for another year or so because they won't be doing very, very much. Um, we're talking about a low inflation, slow growth environment. They've already told us um, in terms of their structure and, and their use of the three years bond rate to try and get the whole curve flat, that they want to hold rates around the cash rate for three years. And over time, you'll probably see them allow the three-year rate to start to rise to capture the fact that we've, as a three-year window moves, we've got a two-year window and a one-year window, so that'll allow that bond rate to slowly creep up. If things aren't going well, what we'll see is them come back and try and hold the bond rate down for another year so the three-year won't rise as much. Um, that's about the limit, what they're going to be doing. Um, maybe if the deficit is so big and there's some funding issues, the RBA will be hoovering into the market to try and keep the bond rates down. Buying 10 years or something. Buying 10 years or something, yeah. They've, 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 they haven't said they'll do that, but that kind of thing is still on the cards for them to do. Mm-hmm. But really what we're looking at now is not a monetary issue. It's a fiscal issue. Fiscal issue, It's yeah. a fiscal issue, how we get growth. And the monetary will be there to support it. Um, the other one that they may sort of look at is the strength of the Australian dollar. Yeah, 70, 70 cents it uh, capped this week, actually. Mm-hmm. Just broke through for a little bit, um, yeah. back down below that level. But it took several runs at it in the last few weeks and finally just popped. It's got a knock on week. the door yeah. a few times. Yeah. 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 I mean, in, in reality, compared to commodity prices, it's probably cheap. Um, but commodities aren't the main story driving our economy at the moment. So no. the reflection of that is, is still saying, well, the RBA can sit on the sidelines for now using the argument that given all the factors, the dollar is probably about right. Um, but if they wanted a more inflationary pulse, um, a lower Aussie wouldn't be, wouldn't be harmful at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly, um, so I know you look at commodities regularly, but uh, iron ore has been a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, story this year and with the China GDP figures, yeah. um, uh, the, that looks like that. That uh, I mean, I was just looking at the the prices regularly, and I saw it, you know, ripping up, up above, um, you know, a hundred US dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've rethought that now after um, seeing the Chinese Chinese GDP uh, data this week, which looks like a kind of a concrete leads uh, recovery a bit. Yep. So we're already sort of as we're leading to these numbers. I was talking to um, Elliot Clark, who does all that China research, and um, through the last couple of weeks, he'd be getting more and more bullish. I dived into the data that I look at to try and get a feeling on the um, steel industry and demand for um, resources, particularly in China. And everything was better than I expected and momentum was heading in a positive direction. So I started tweeting our narrative around this fact that this was, even before the GDP numbers come out, things in China were looking better for the commodity story from a demand side and the prospects were improving. And all of a sudden we get these GDP numbers which are more solid we get more global uncertainty around COVID, which means the administration itself is pouring more focus on getting the domestic economy going. And all of a sudden you've got this backdrop for commodity prices, not just iron ore, but you should, we should also mention um, base metals and um, particular cop- copper. Copper, yeah, copper, copper, copper. Which is also having the impact of COVID reducing supply, yep. similar to iron ore. Both of those are now looking, you know, at the moment we have forecasts for iron ore to sort of ease back towards $90 a tonne by June next year. That was based on the recovery of supply coming out of Brazil as long with demand in China not accelerating. But now it looks like it's accelerating. So I have to admit, it's the, the backdrop for commodity prices is looking 
far more robust than what we initially thought. I have to concur on that. Yeah, I can't see I can't see a lot of reasons for downside on this one. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not as thrilled about Chinese retail after yesterday. No, that was a little bit incongruous with what I've been driving as well. But I can't see, especially if Brazil can't get its act together and what's going on in Chile. So that's that's iron ore and copper. Yep, well, I think you can certainly write Brazil off as a participant for for the rest of the year. Mm. Um, so that it looks like yeah. and China's China's in, just that steel production, just their industrial demand. That's, that's just that, that tops just, just fine. Yeah, it's just fine. And yeah. the, the, the prospects on how they've structured it is just. It, all the risks have gone, have gone one direction now. It's yeah. up and down. Um, of course, we have to park coal into another corner. It's a whole different issue around coal, um, both in terms of you've really got two issues with coal. One is um, we'll, we'll leave met coal aside for a minute, but for thermal in particular, China doesn't need our thermal coal, really. It imports a small component. Um, globally, demand for thermal coal is on the decline. Um, if you've got a solar plant pumping out power for free, why on earth would you fire up your coal plants? That's what's happening at the moment. Uh, and, and with reduced energy demand because... That's why right, that's the next thing. Yeah, you've got reduced energy demand, you've got all these renewables that have, you've got a huge amount of sunk cost into them, but to run them is zero, and they just pump power out. And so then you're using less uh, thermal generation power, coal or even gas. So that's the coal sector is really sort of one that's more under more pressure. Um, also because they don't need our coal... Um, as much, yes, they do need our met coal more because they they, they struggle to get the sort of um, subbitumous type coals they need. But even just for um, met coal is used for making steel, steel right? Yeah, it's yeah, used for making steel. Yeah. Yep, and they they they, they supply ninety percent of their own met coal. Um, the ten percent they import is this special kind of coal they don't produce domestically. So in theory, they don't need us. Just in theory, they actually really need us a lot. What happens though is they find ways around that in the short run. And they can still play games on the tariff side. So, coal is open to trade wars. Right. Iron ore, not at all. Yeah, yeah. They need us. Well, and um, at a time when um, there's a lot of fiscal spending coming on, that differential in terms of you know weaker Aussie, very strong um, uh, iron ore prices, mm-hmm. uh, which are in US dollars, yep. uh, and strong Chinese demand, uh, helpful. Right. Um, so, income. So, so, you're thinking about the income side of the story. Yes, you're spot on right. We've got a lower, relatively lower Aussie than what you'd expect given commodity prices. So, iron ore, um, uh, base metals, gold. Gold prices are stunningly high in US dollars. I can't believe it. So, yeah. I can. It's the liquidity. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a gold bug. I'm not a fan. I'm an economist. I'll always argue that gold has got pet, limited value. Pet rock guy. Yeah. I'm not, that, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm also been around long enough to know that when central banks are throwing a God, lot of money in the system, you've got to own gold. You've got to own gold. Yeah, it's just the way it's, it is. It's just I don't know. I don't know why, but I own gold because that's just what it is. I'm not a big fan of it either. But look at this. So it's explain like, this to me. So there's lots of liquidity getting pumped into the system. Mm-hmm. It needs to go somewhere in, in portfolios at, 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 at a time of high risk as well. So the okay. risk, risk yeah. here is more elevated than usual. Lots of liquidity. It's looking for assets. One of the most sort of risk. Secure assets historically actually doesn't make sense, but if everyone believes it, it doesn't it makes have sense. to make sense. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense as long as everyone believes in it. Then there it is. Um, economics, um, value in economics is all about people's perceptions and not reality. 
gold is there right now. And I, I, I couldn't put it any better than that. That's that's exactly it. Um, so so speaking of perceptions of a reality, uh, James, quickly, um, stonks, still stonks. stonking. A little bit of a pullback last night. Um, what do you think? Uh, the, the, the one touch that I'm going to make is going to be the – very focused on it this week in the discussions that I've had with the media is that the most crowded trade in the history of the Bank of America – most crowded trade survey, their, their, their fund manager survey that they do and releases every every month, came out on Tuesday. And the most crowded trade by the survey says... Long stonks. Of all as long US tech. Long US tech. Yeah, and that's, okay. the, that's got the highest, the highest survey says 74% of respondents said that that is the most crowded trade in the market at the moment. So just for those who are not familiar, explain a crowded trade. Uh, just that's, that's where everyone is long or that's where all the money is, is being positioned at the moment. And that so, and so it means if it reverses, it means it means it means that if you're a contrarian person, that crowded trades are easily reversed because there's a lot of people, and then you've got a lot of weak hands in there as well. And the weakest hands at the moment are the Robin Hood, the Robin Hood stonk, the stonkers, and uh, they're very very weak hands. So, you know they're going in in the thousands, and when they pull out, the rug pulls out, and also you can see that the big funds will just clean those particular places out and be able to pick them up at lower prices. So. Um, tech, US tech, very, very crowded at the moment. In the history of the survey, it's the most crowded trade. Um, it's easy for the rug to get pulled on that. So the question, and as always, it's not shorting. You're either, my, I always say in or out. Right now, out. Um, look, for, look for an entry lower in. Um, maintain your holding with gold. Maintain your holding with commodities. Um, and Europe looks pretty good as well. And China, we're starting to see continued separation between the West and the East, between the mask wearers and the dumbasses, uh, as I prefer to call them, uh, that that you can see. I mean, look at the GDP numbers. Look at look at everyone's GDP numbers on the same day that our unemployment number is at seven four or wherever, mm-hmm. beat expectations. That that China is now back on there. One country, one one side of the world decides to wear masks, and one side of the world decides to not wear a mask. And look at the difference in the economy. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills sometimes. So the, the um, and that's that's where that is. But we're seeing a further separation between the, the West and the East in technology and in their markets, and, and we still like a good Chinese exposure in their tech and their internet and their things because that's immune to shocks around the world because they have their own economy now. This sounds like an entire show. It, and it is, and I have to agree exactly what you're lying, that China is separating. Um, it is developing its own domestic economies. Um, you highlighted earlier that it'll be supporting retail sales in China, and I have to agree that... that the consumption side of China is still not where you would hope it to be. It's mm. still driven around the industrial production. But the industrial production cycle is no longer as dependent on the global cycle as it used to be. It's, yep. a, it's, like, a, it's like a turbocharger now for the, for the Chinese economy. When the globe's firing, the turbocharger spins up and lifts it to another level. And if the turbocharger's not firing, it falls back down to a more normal level. Uh, this has been a great chat. Um, uh, Justin Smirk, Senior Economist at Westpac, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was My really pleasure. fun. I could uh, stay here for another hour talking, I reckon. I really enjoyed it too. I, I actually learned quite a lot too. Oh, wow. I, I always know when it's time to wrap up the show because my brain physically feels full and it's pretty heavy mm-hmm. at the moment now. I'm going to need a glass in my hand very soon. So I'm done. Very well good. done. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever else you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us, subscribe, um, leave a review. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore BIP 
underscore show. That's such a mouthful. And we're on Facebook too. Just uh, search The Bip Show. Uh, we're also on Twitter individually at Colgo, at James Whelan 42 And Justin is on there as well at Macro Justin. Macro Justin. We love those five-star ratings. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, the show is produced by Rick Salter. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.